Welcome to this edition of Talk to Me with David Ward and joining me this week is Canadian guitar legend of Loverboy and Streetheart and numerous other bands. Paul Dean, thank you very much for coming on the show. Fourteen other bands to be exact or to be approximate. <laughs> Welcome Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. Alright David, good to be here. So yeah, so you have quite the history. Um, as you said, 14 bands. You know, I, I, I knew something about you and I did a little bit of reading, but there was a lot more after I, I went online and read about you. Um, I hadn't realized how much stuff you had actually been up to before Loverboy started. Um, so can you give me a little background, kind of where you grew up and kind of getting into music? I grew up in the, in the mountains of British Columbia. Uh, somewhere between Golden and Cranbrook, two very small towns. And I was in an even smaller town of Invermere. And uh, I moved there when I was 10, or when I was eight. Lived there for 10 years, so I graduated uh, grade 12 in Invermere and hit the road. First opportunity I had, the bell rang, I was gone. I was into Vancouver. And so I've been, I've been living everywhere across Canada, but mainly in Vancouver. And uh, growing up there, I, I got into uh, into surf music. That's kind of what I, I don't know how I got into it. Somebody must have had a record and they turned me onto it. But uh, So that's how I cut my teeth as a guitar player. That and country music, a little bit of Johnny Cash and his guitar player, uh, Luther Perkins. And uh, uh, Dwayne Eddy was a big influence on me back. We're talking in the very beginning. I learned all, all his stuff all the, the Ventures songs and all this, and then all the surf, surf bands and the Beach Boys. And then I got into the Everly Brothers, which was a big thing for me because all of a sudden I was into vocals and singing and that. And uh, that's where I kind of got immersed in uh, the two-part harmony of, that uh, became what I consider one of Love Boy's signatures in the, uh, the two-part harmony between Mike and myself. And that was, kind of based on uh, on the Everly Brothers because they were they were two part as well and uh, so it was a huge influence on me and I would the, the difference being that it was really hard for me back in the day trying to decipher what the harmony parts were because they were so tight and it was like one voice and I was like okay there's the melody but where's the harmony so that was a that was an interesting you know as a 14 year old kid trying to figure it out figure it all out figure out guitars and harmonies and then I eventually got into songwriting after that. So what were the gigs like? Yeah. Is it was it like you had to do covers like all night? Or oh yeah, it was, it was all covers, and it was all really old. I mean, we're talking we're talking fifties, you know, fifties music because it was in uh, it was in 60, 62, 63, something like that. This is before the Beatles came out. You know, I, I was playing guitar and uh, um, or right around the time the Beatles came out and. But yeah, we were doing all covers. There was no original stuff, and I was—I was a hired gun in the band, um, and just as I say, a pretty young, young beginner. You know, mm -hmm. I had a, had a I had a pretty good groove, and I could figure out the tune. I could figure out a song by ear, but uh, I wasn't—I wasn't featured by any stretch. Of it. But it was an instrumental band. It was an interesting, interesting uh, time for me. The guitar player also—he played trumpet, so we did a couple of tunes together, trumpet and sax, and. It was an accordion player in the band. It was pretty, uh, pretty earthy stuff, you know. But uh, it was it was a good way to cut your teeth. And I learned a business too. I mean, I was making ten bucks a night, and uh, 
we did a gig on New Year's, and uh, and from what I heard, the the, the guy made got two hundred dollars for the, for the for the show for New Year's. Yeah. And I go, well, what do you think? Could I maybe get twelve? He says, no, 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 no. You you make ten dollars. I went, you know what? Screw you, buddy. <laughs> and I I went on and uh, started my own band after that. So that that was my my first uh, bit of business of, in the music business. You know, my first taste, my first bad taste, I guess you could say. You know, and I've talked to quite a few other artists uh, recently, and certainly got a bit of stick and and stories about sort of the, the Ontario circuit and, and parts about the Canadian circuit. And so what was what was it like in the West Coast and, and, and wherever you were playing sort of the, uh, when you first started getting into rock and touring a bit? Well, you know, I moved, I, I moved to uh, Vancouver uh, in uh, 64, I guess, something like that. Yeah, 64, 65. And uh, I got, like the first week I was there, I ran into an old friend of mine who was in a rhythm and blues band, instrumental band once again, and they, their guitar player had just quit, and he was looking for a guitar player. So I signed on, and uh, so all of a sudden I went from being a surf dude to a rhythm and blues dude, and I went, what the hell is rhythm and blues? I had no idea what R&B meant, you know, what, a, what the approach that a guitar player would take. So it took me a while to figure that, to kind of to analyze that and to figure out where I fit, and I had to adapt, and I had to learn a, a new style. I kept, I've, I've always kept my surf style. I still have that that embedded in me really deeply. I, it keeps coming out of my solos. And uh, but the R and B thing was a really great school to attend. You know, I was going to UBC and, and learning all this, the Sam and Dave stuff, all the Motown stuff, and the Stack stuff, and Wilson Pickett, and all these uh, James Brown, and all these guys. And a lot of Seattle instrumental bands, and we, we learned some songs by the Sonics and from from Seattle. And um, I I had I had had a brush with the Seattle band Johnny and the Hurricanes back when I was playing surf music, and they were once again an instrumental band. But they had a killer guitar player and a and a really cool kind of uh, keyboard sound with a sax player. We had a very similar thing. In the, in, the band was called the Chantels, mm-hmm. and I joined that band. And our our circle was, we played a lot of frat, frat parties. You just get stinking drunk, you play the set, and it, your, your show, you get stinking drunk, toss out and, uh, in the hallway somewhere. You know, and, and when you're 19 or 20, that's, that's, I guess that's what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what I did, anyhow, it was, so that was a really fun thing. What, nobody's making any money, but we were playing, where once again, we're making 15 bucks a night or whatever, but... We were happy to be playing to As I am now, I'm still happy to be, so happy to be playing. And, and can you explain a little bit um, sort of of how you ended up in, in then back back in the middle, then back in Winnipeg and, and Street Heart? Well, you know, I never, I, I was in Street Heart. Street Heart was my, well, it would have, would have been my 13th band, I guess. And uh, I was in a band with Matt. Uh, I had been, Previous to meeting Matt, I was in, a, in another band, um, a, a Canadian recording band, doing all original stuff. And uh, that band broke up, and I was pretty destitute. I didn't know, I couldn't find anything in Toronto where I was living. And I phoned an agent in Calgary, and he said, well, this band, Great Canadian River, is in Edmonton. 
are looking for a guitar player. And I said, well, great. Uh, and I think I somehow I got them maybe to pay my way out so I could audition. I auditioned them the same time they were auditioning me. And I like their, their music was interesting because they played some Stevie Dan and Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney, stuff that I would never dream of playing. Um, and it was a good good thing for me, not so much the music that we're playing. I could kind of, you know, that, that didn't make a big impression, a lasting impression on me. But I, I met Matt Burnett. He was the drummer in the band, and that's the reason I wanted to join the band. He did a drum solo the night I saw him. I went, wow, this guy can, he's great. He's really cool, great player. But he, And then when I played with him, he had a great groove. It was, it was a very natural thing for me play with him he, he felt the music where I felt it mm-hmm. where I, I played with a lot of a lot of drummers who have been so far off, on top of the beat it's it's like a nervous energy that I just can't get get into and some some drummers are so far behind the beat it's lazy and I fall asleep so that was right on right on target for me right in my groove so I joined that band and we were together for what, a couple of years uh, something like that a year and a bit I guess and then we, Matt and I, we went to this bar together to hear this, this up-and-coming band. They were called Witness. And uh, we were blown away. We, we looked at it and said, this is what we should be doing. They were doing, they were doing covers. They weren't doing original stuff, but they were doing covers. But they had this amazing bass player, Ken Sineve, who's currently our lover voice bass player. And, and a couple other guys that were really, truly amazing. Singer, Kenny Shields, and, and Daryl Gutel, keyboard player. So Matt and I... We were oh man, if only we could be in a band like this. So we were like blown away. And, and I guess, unbeknownst to us, that band came and saw our band, Matt and my band, and they even said the same thing. They said, wow, we can only get those guys in our band. So one morning at, I swear it was 5 a.m., Kenny Shields pulled me up from Regina and he said, first was, hey man, you want to make a band? And I went, yes. There was just no question. So I think probably a week or two later, we gave our notice to the band we were in, and we hightailed it out to Regina, the two of us. And we uh, we got an apartment together, and I was sleeping on the floor and whatever. You know, it was it was right at the bottom of how you start a band. You know, you get a band out, you share everything, and so and then we rehearsed that for probably six months, and we wrote a ton of stuff, ton of songs. And uh, we were ready to go. We had an album with the stuff, and we split with China and headed straight for Toronto and started playing Toronto, around Toronto, the Toronto area, and uh, playing all the clubs and just kicked some serious butt out of, in Ontario. And we, out of that, we got a record deal, and we recorded uh, Meanwhile Back in Paris together. That was the only record that Streetheart did with me. Um, I was asked to leave shortly after that to do some political... BS and what was going on, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was uh, so I. That's when I, I uh, shortly after that I started doing a, a solo album. I said, you know, to myself, I said, uh, I was trying to back up the singer because I've I've been backing up singers forever and trying to write music for them and supporting them and putting my heart and soul into the band and supporting them, only to have them go whatever, you know, it's not working out because of this or that. So I said, you know what, I'm just, for better or for worse, I'm going to do a, just do a solo now. I'm tired of doing that. And then, well, I, in the midst of that, I heard Mike Reno. He came down to uh, 
hang out with a um, guitar player that I was playing with. I was playing bass in his band at the same time working on my solo stuff. And Mike came down to visit this guy, and I heard Mike singing in the other room in our rehearsal hall. I went, wow. I just, the instant, I went, wow. And I, the, the whole thought of a solo career, I just went, you know what, this could probably just the solo career. It's possible. I'm going to, I should give this one more try. See if this guy's into it, see if he's interested, see if we can make it something work. And uh, as it turned out, it uh, worked quite well. <laughs> Yeah, yes, it did indeed. And and when you when you had put the band together, you guys are rehearsing. You're getting that first record together. Was there a feeling and understanding that you had something special there? You think it was Lover Boy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, well, you know, it was before we put the record out. We had played. We were playing clubs, and it started out uh, kind of shaky the first week. wasn't great. And then, well, actually, our first show we opened for Kiss, and that was that was interesting at the Coliseum or some some big room in Vancouver. And uh, so that was a auspicious beginning to the band. But then we we went to the clubs and we were playing all we played all original tunes, no covers, just like we do now. Yeah. And uh, but people got into it. They, you know, at first it was like girls with ACDC, you know, and throwing shit at us like. Uh, uh, you know, rat tail combs and ice cubes and quarters and stick containers and stuff like that. And we, we'd be ducking all this paraphernalia flying at us. And then eventually things kind of calmed down and they started getting it. They started under people, the fans started to become fans instead of our enemies. They became our friends, you know, and uh, uh, pretty soon we started getting encores and all that. And people really got the message, you know. And so by that time, we kind of knew I, you know, it's funny, I, I did a little, I did a survey, uh, I, I, of 20 of our fans went out in a bar, I, I, we had 20 original tunes that we were doing, and I put them all on a list, and I said, do me a favor, we're going to play these tunes, all these tunes tonight, here's the set, and just give me your favorites, the ones that you thought were really good, and uh, so I compiled that, that, that survey, and went, okay, well then this is probably going to be the album right there. And that, that's how it turned out. So we recorded those nine songs and uh, released them. And luckily for us, we had Kittis Ada and Turn You Loose on it. And uh, those, both those tunes hit big time. It was amazing. Well, how did it begin? Like, how did you guys get a record deal? You know, I, as you said, you know, you told me your first gig was with Kiss. It was opening for Kiss, and I suspect that maybe the band that was scheduled to open for them, maybe they couldn't get into the country or something, but our manager at the time, Bruce Allen, who has got his, his fist on the pulse of, of the Vancouver music scene, um, he made it happen for us, he, you know, through, through his agency and, and all his connections and that. So and what a great way to break a band. But, uh, you know, so we were doing all original tunes, and uh, and then from that we we were instantly established as a uh, well as a band for better or for worse we were a band so we were able to get gigs and we worked solid after that we never stopped we worked every week we never had a week off until we went in the studio to record our first album. Wow, that's a really and, really cool story. Yeah. I had no idea that you had already, you know, opened and played and had some notoriety before the record. I mean, I guess obviously often that is how it happens. Well, yeah. I mean, then the tough thing, of course, is, is your your what they call their sophomore record, your second record, 
because what happens, you have all this time to rehearse and write the first album, and then you go out and you go on the road, and okay, now it's time to do a second album. What do you got? Well, a lot of bands, they go, well, I don't really have, we don't really have anything because we put all our stuff, all our eggs in this first album release, this first basket, and uh, but with, with us, we we worked really hard. We, we were rehearsing and writing on the road and, uh, uh, in hotel rooms and backstage in the dressing room and after sound checks and during sound checks and after the gig and going out and jamming and, and just trying different stuff. And it, so we were able to, uh, to get uh, a second album together. On the, we, wrote, we wrote one, two, Doug and I wrote uh, Watch Out in a, in a car driving to a gig just singing into a ghetto blaster. Um, uh, actually, you know, just right then and there. And a lot of times we, I, there was one tune, uh, Lucky Ones, I I, had, I wrote the intro to it and the, and the chord progression for the guitar solo. And I couldn't, because I don't write music, I I, I went to Doug afterwards. I just, do you remember that part that I was playing? It's not really. So you remember when, da 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 and uh, did the part, and he went, okay, he says, could you write that out for me so that I have a, a record of it? Just because I didn't have a, my plaster with me, my, my recording device with me, it was back at the hotel. So he wrote that out for me on a napkin, so at least I go, okay, so I won't forget it. Now I know the intro to Lucky Ones. Thank you. And then we we just worked on it in the dressing room and, and came up with most of the lyrics in the dressing room. And uh, never played it on stage because we were, by that time, we were warming up for uh, Kansas and CC Top and bands like that. So we weren't going to play our new stuff. It wasn't really ready, anyways. So uh, so we went in and recorded our second album, and we recorded it, literally recorded it in three weeks. And we we uh, mixed it, recorded and mixed it in three weeks in Vancouver because we had a, a tour ready to go and we were going to be going out with jury in uh, shortly afterwards so we cobbled together this this get lucky album in, in three weeks and and in the midst of recording as our record our managers would come in and say this is what the record company sent us this album cover what do you guys think and there's this uh, it looks like a guy's butt with his fingers crossed behind him and red leather pants and went perfect that's 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 us right there what are we going to call it and then Reno, we were singing Lucky Ones, a tune that I wrote in the club with Doug's help, as he was my stenographer, I suppose. And he said, one of the tri- throwaway lines, he says, get lucky in the middle of the tune. And we just sort of went, somebody, maybe it was Mike or maybe it was one of our managers, said, what about get lucky? And we went, yeah, perfect. So that's how that album came about. Pretty fast, like boom, and then we're back on the road again. Yeah, and I mean, you guys just kept having a good run after good run. I mean, the, the hits kept coming. There's not there's not a lot of Canadian bands that can say the same story, actually. You know, you had songs that were used in soundtracks. You were the mainstream. You had hits in the U.S. Um, was there any point where, you know, Life on the Road started to uh, just, just weigh? I mean, obviously that happens to everybody. Um, but when you think back to it... Uh, you know, how long was it before you started to, to get tired from some of it sometimes? Well, you know, adrenaline is a wonderful thing. And uh, and we were, you know, it was 40 years ago, so we were all a lot younger, so we had a ton of energy. There, there were some 
some drama. There, that's, there still is. There's always drama in a band. Five guys, five high, high maintenance dudes. You know that we all are. Mm-hmm. So there, there was a lot of, not a lot, but it, there's enough of that. And there's always that's always cropping up. And you just gotta go, just navigate through it the best you can. You know. But uh, as for the fatigue. Uh, we were all wearing cowboy boots, and uh, I don't know. It was, a, it was that's just what we're where we're at. We're all wearing cowboy boots. At least Mike and I were, and I think Scott was too. And I remember after the end of that, after the end of the Get Lucky tour, I could barely walk. It was it's, it's kind of it catches up to you the next when you're you're finally off tour. The tour is over, and then you're going to go and record it or rewrite a new album. And you're going to take a breath, and you kind of go. Holy crap! I'm so I'm pretty wasted here. I mean, it just sort of comes crashing down on you, and you realize, you know. So that it was a little bit. Took a little while to kind of, you know. <laughs> for one thing, I never wore cowboy boots again. But uh, <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me about the music you've just recently released, and and what you're up to these days. Well, I'm I'm releasing a few songs. I have an album's worth of stuff. Uh, some of them are complete. Some of them are really close to being complete uh, and because there's no rush I can listen to a song and I can tear it apart and go what if I tried this you know because there's no there's no, uh, no I don't have a record company reading down my neck going hey you guys gotta get back on the road we need that Loverboy album right tomorrow we don't have that that issue right now so I'm working on a solo thing and I've released two singles I released one way back uh, a few months quite a few months back called Be With You and did a video for it on YouTube and uh Recently released another one called Hell Yeah with the help of uh, 10 Canadian bands who contributed, uh, eight of them contributed video, little little video snippets of different places in Canada. The theme of the song Hell Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's kind of like a, a travelogue of, of a band going across Canada, starting on Vancouver Island, ending in uh, Newfoundland and all the stops in between. And most of those stops are featured another band, another Canadian band who who uh, contributed, who I went to them and said, would you guys be into doing this? And everybody went, yeah. So they, some of them made a very, very, most of them made a very professional with their camera crew and big expensive gear and, and sent in 10 second snippets of them doing what I asked or something similar or just being in the city and doing what they wanted, you know? And, uh, Paul Dean, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, it's been my pleasure, and uh, we should do it again sometime.